Um, I'm going to do something um, a little different than a normal message today. Um, but I want to remind you, as we are going through our survey of the Bible, um, this survey is not intended just to give you content and charts and um, knowledge about the Bible. <laughs> um, I, I'm wanting to at least do that, uh, but, but I'm really wanting to provide you the context, the historical context, the literary context, the biblical context in which every book in the Bible is written. Um, and then, as, as you know, I'm going through, I'm giving you content about what is in these books, and then some convictions, how we should, should live that out. Um, but that whole thing is so that you will engage in your own personal study of God's Word. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, a study was done, and they found that the greatest predictor of spiritual growth and maturity was a person's personal time in God's Word. It wasn't the music you listen to. It wasn't the kind of church you go to. The greatest predictor of spiritual growth and maturity is your personal time in God's Word. And so what I'm trying to do in this series is provide you the context, um, the setting, um, really the overview so that you can spend time in God's Word, on your own, gathering and, and putting the information together. Uh, and, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to review um, what we have seen already in the 17 books that we have covered. We have covered the 17 historical books. Um, we've combined three of them, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. So there's been 14 messages to cover 17 books that put together the storyline of the Old Testament. And let me tell you, here's, here's the point of today's message. It, it is really simple. When we go back and we look at the storyline of the Old Testament, here's what we find out. God is faithful. We are not. And we find out this. It is his story, not ours. Um, now, part of his story is to redeem us, and that is a good thing. But the story that is being told is not our story. God is not coming into the world to make our lives better. Um, us being a part of his story does make our lives better. It gives us purpose. It gives us a destiny with him. But God is faithful to accomplish everything in his story. And as we are faithful, we get to joyously involve ourselves in his story. God is faithful and if the Old Testament teaches us anything, it's that we're not. But God is, and he is telling his story. He will accomplish all the purposes of his story, and he invites us to be a part of that by being faithful. Okay? So what we're going to do today is we're going we're to review the 17 books that we have covered. I'm going to go through the content of them. I'm going to put them together. We're going to do some hand motions to help you remember them. This is where our children are going to be able to help us. Um, we're going to put it together historically with another set of hand motions. Uh, so we're, we're doing an overview of what we have already covered so far. Now, uh, before I move on, I want to, I want to talk to you about um, one of the favorite assignments that I ever gave as a professor uh, when I was at Colorado Christian University in Western Seminary. Um, I taught a number of different classes. One of my favorite classes was an Old Testament survey class. And um, I, I had this assignment that I loved, and I think my students really loved as well. And um, Allie Crow is going to come help me, and she's going to display one of uh, the assignments that was given, uh, or one of the assignments that was turned in. 
Um, Here's the assignment, okay? The assignment was for um, everyone to um, create, in your own creative expression, a summary of the chronology of the Old Testament in however you wanted to do that, okay? I'm going to talk about this one that was done by Kim Silvernail in 1993 in just a moment. But you could choose anything you wanted, but you had to put it together in a way that was kind of expressive of you, but let me know, you understand the flow of Old Testament chronology. So I had a number of, of wonderful projects. I've got a folder of them up here. Um, I, had, I had one group of guys, they, I let them work in groups. I had one group of guys that put together Lego scenes through the whole Old Testament. They put them together on a table and they created Lego scenes through the whole Bible. Um, and I went through and, I mean, everybody toured these. We had, you know, days when we were presenting all these things. Um, I had a number of different musical groups. A couple of guys got together, they created a blues band, and they sang the blues through the Old Testament. But all of the songs fit kind of the the chronology of it. I had a number of different groups do kind of what I would call a cabaret, where they would take songs and rewrite them. Um, And, and, I mean, had big musical groups, grand pianos, um, doing the chronology of the Old Testament. And they would rewrite songs like... Um, the song for the, for the Levites was hilarious. They sang it to the tune of the Flintstones, okay? So it was Levites, they're the Levites, they're a bloody gory family. I mean, it's just great. It was just fantastic. When they talked about Moses, it was to the tune of Barry Manilow's I Write the Songs. He, I write the laws that make the whole world sin. I mean, just they re- redo it. It was fantastically creative. One of my students, before he became famous, you may have read um, John Eldridge's books, he was one of my students and did this assignment. When he did the assignment, he wrote a one-person narrative summary of the whole Old Testament as a dramatic reading, and when he read it, it was like 25 minutes long, he had all of us crying and rolling in the aisles as he kind of narrated um, a drama through the Old Testament. It was fantastic. The reason I'm telling you that is maybe you could do that as a family, Maybe it'd be a great thing to get your family together. And if you've got small kids, maybe build some Lego scenes and kind of, here's how the Old Testament goes together. Maybe you just want to take a year and, you know, do some things. What Kim Silvernail did is she did, on these uh, 12 cards, she painted watercolor paintings um, to give the chronology of the Old Testament. This one is kind of the chaos before anything was created. And then kind of light is sparkling here in, in, uh, in creation. This is uh, the, the flood with a rainbow. Here's the Tower of Babel. This is Abraham sacrificing Isaac and a sheep is provided. This is captivity in Egypt. There's some, some uh, pyramids back there. This is uh, them coming out of Egypt. This is the giving of the law at Sinai. This is living in the land of milk and honey. Uh, this is the United Kingdom. Here's the captivity. They're in prison, and then the restoration into the land. It was, I mean, it's just great. And what she turned in was just these cards, okay? And when she turned them in, I just evoked my privilege. Whatever you turn in to a professor is his possession. And I just said, I'm keeping them, okay? And she was great, and I gave her a B. No, I mean, this is an A project. Trust me, this is an A project. Um, I love these. My amazing wife had them framed for me. I had them hanging in my office um, in Colorado, in Washington. Uh, here, I ha- have had them hanging in my office. Little by little, these watercolors that she did faded. So that after a, a long period of time, I had 12 kind of white cards. <laughs> you could barely see the colors in there. And so um, a few years ago, I asked Heather Maynard, a member of our body who's an artist, I asked her if she would refresh them. And so she 
she went in and she took what she could kind of see, the colors that were there, and she made them pop again. She put them together. Uh, she reframed them, put them in a, in a glass that would make them not, not fade over the years. And down here at the bottom, I have Kim Silvernail's uh, signature, 1993, and Heather Maynard, 2019. This is just such a great reminder for me. Now, I love this. I am telling you, the people who did that project, who got themselves involved, they didn't just listen to my lectures. I'm telling you, none of them remember my Old Testament survey lectures. But they remember their projects, and it put the chronology of the Old Testament together for them. Thanks, Allie. That's great. Um, And so I really want to encourage you, take advantage of some creative expressions. And I'm going to do that. Today, what we're going to do um, is not going to be necessarily everybody's greatest joy, okay, to, for you to, you know, get up and do some hand motions. But, but we're going to put it together in a way that will allow you to see the big picture. And I hope out of seeing the big picture, you will see, oh, yes, God was faithful, even though his people were not. And that he's telling his story, not ours. Part of his story, though, is to redeem us, and that's a good thing. But the story is so much bigger than just um, our redemption. It's about him reestablishing his rule and his authority, and that's what we're waiting for in the second coming of Christ. Um, I put together a number of resources through this uh, time uh, on the web. There's about 30 resources out there. Some of these are available at the Connection Center. I've got some surveys of, of how to read historical narrative out there at the Connection Center today. And this chart, I have some copies of it out there. Um, this chart puts together um, the Old Testament. I've used this over and over again. A number of pieces of this chart up ac- across the top is just some dating, okay? Um, it's very difficult to put the specific dates before the flood together because we don't know exactly how to read the genealogies because he was the son of, that word son, Yalad and B'nai, those words can mean descendant of. So it may be multiple generations that go in there. If it's a tight genealogy, then Adam, real historical person, Adam lived somewhere between 4,000 and maybe 8,000 years ago. Um, depending on if there are any gaps in the genealogies. But let's add them about 4,000 years ago, rough numbers. Um, Abraham lived about 2,000, okay? Really technically 2166, but we're going to go 2,000, okay? So we got Adam at 4,000, Abraham at 2,000. Then we have Moses at about 1,500. 1446 is the date of the Exodus when they came out of captivity in Egypt. Um, And then you can think of uh, David at about 1,000, so Adam at 4,000, um, Abraham at 2,000, Moses at 1,500, David at 1,000, and then the Old Testament ends roughly 400 BC, okay? So those are the dates. Um, I've got it arranged with some major people as they flow through there, major people and events, and then the white blocks are the united kingdom with Saul, David, and Solomon, and then that kingdom divides into the north and the south with Israel and Judah, Um, There's a gap of 70 years when they're in captivity, and then they're restored. That's kind of the the flow of the people. Um, The next line down here are the 17 books that we've covered. We've covered those 17 books, and there are 11 of them that if you read them, they're the ones on the top line, those 11 books. If you read those 11 books, you get the storyline of the Old Testament. All of the other ones, a little drops out along the way, are retelling the story from a different perspective. 
Um, what we're going to do in about three weeks is we're going to get back together and, and we're going to re-engage this series. And I'm going to work through the poetic books. Um, we're going to cover Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. You'll see Job sits over there by itself because Job probably lived during the patriarchal period, sometime around the, the time of Abraham. But literarily, he fits with the wisdom books that tell us how to deal with kind of the, the regular stuff of life, like suffering and meaning and philosophy and uh, love. Um, that, that's what is going on in the wisdom books. When we finish that, we're going to come back together and we're going to look at all of the 17 prophetic books. And all of those prophetic books fit back into the storyline basically in First and Second Kings. Um, they, they fit back into First and Second Kings or the retelling of that story in First and Second Chronicles. All of them, um, except for Daniel and Ezekiel, who are exilic prophets, they are, they are writing during the time of the exile while uh, they are away in Babylon. We'll straighten all that out when we get to the prophets. And then the last three books of the Old Testament, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, those three books are post-exilic. They take place during that Ezra-Nehemiah time, um, the last three books. So there's some pre-exilic, exilic, and post-exilic. We'll make sense of that in a few uh, months. Um, but, but what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about this historical timeline. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go back and, and as quickly as I can, I'm going to review all of the, the 17 books in 14 messages. I'm going to review the message of each one of those books, and then we're going to put them together with one word that helps us see what, what is revealed about God. Because remember, this is a story about God, not about us. So what should we be learning about God in each one of these books? Um, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. It's the five scrolls. That's what Pentateuch means. Um, and it really is the foundation of, of God reestablishing his rule. Um, God was in charge. Everything was like he wanted it to be in the Garden of Eden. But then we rebelled and we, we said, we don't want to follow your way. We want to follow our own way. And, and the Pentateuch establishes God's um, reestablishment of his rule. And, and it shows God's plan for his people, his plan to redeem them, his plan to reestablish his rule, and how he's going to do that through creating a nation within that nation, raising up a family and a dynasty through whom a king would come, and then his son would be in that dynasty, and God's son would then be the redeemer. Now, what happens is all throughout the Pentateuch, there are these predictions, patterns, pictures, um, promises that are made of this redeemer to come. But it's all establishing what God is going to do and getting us looking forward to that. So let's jump into some of these books. The book of Genesis, um, it is the beginning of everything. Everything starts in the book of Genesis. God's plan, God's story, uh, redemption, God, um, sacrifice starts right there in Genesis chapter 3 when an animal is killed after their sin to make coverings for them. Um, and what we see in the book of Genesis is not just the beginning of all things, but two main theological points. God is great and God is good. The first 11 chapters, God is great because he created the world. He's holy. He judges. He kicks them out of the garden. Their sin gets so bad, and he is so sovereign and great that he starts all over again by washing the world clean with a, with a flood and then starting it all over again with the same command, same commands given to Noah that were given to Adam. Because God is sovereign, they continue to rebel. 
and, and he sends languages to scatter them around the world. Because God is great. He's in charge. He can do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is maintain his sovereign control to establish a plan to redeem, which is the goodness of God that we see beginning in chapter 12, going through chapter 50, where God has this plan through Abraham and his descendants, ultimately focusing in Genesis chapter 49 on Judah, through whom someone is going to come who's going to make all of this right. Back in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham, he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. But he says something really important. He says, through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. It is through a Jewish person who's going to later on be from the tribe of Judah, chapter 49, who's going to be from the family of David, who's going to bless all the people of the world by providing redemption for them. And that person is, as we know, Jesus Christ, God's son. All of that starts in Genesis by saying God is great and in control, and he's got a good plan to redeem us. And he's going to do that through Abraham and his family. The book of Exodus is is a book that that is really paradigmatic for what redemption looks like. Um, the, The nation of Israel was in bondage in Egypt. They were enslaved. They couldn't do anything about it. And God comes to deliver them. He redeems them out of Egypt. He delivers them, takes them through the Red Sea. And then he takes them to Mount Sinai, where he gives what we think of as the law. He gives them the law. But the law is not um, rules for how you have to behave now. The law is their constitution. This is what makes them distinct in the world. God saves them. He makes them distinct. And then fascinatingly in the book of Exodus, a number of chapters are used to describe how to construct the tabernacle, that mobile tent where God's presence is going to dwell. They describe how to do it, and then they go and repeat everything about how to do it by them doing it. Because it was really important that you know there was a tent that was constructed, and at the end of the book, in chapter 40, the very last verses of Exodus is God being present in that tabernacle, in that tent. So God redeems them, and then he dwells among them. And, and that's what Exodus says. It's, it's that God, he, he redeems them, and then he dwells with them. Well, here's the, here's the problem. If God lives in that tent, and that tent is the center of what we gather around, how in the world do we handle his holy presence in that tent? Because when they mess it up, every now and then fire comes out of the tent and kills a couple guys. How are you going to live that way? Well, that's what the whole book of Leviticus is all about. It's living holy in the presence of Yahweh. It's not how you get saved. All the sacrifices, all of the laws of cleanliness, it is not salvation. That happens in Exodus. Leviticus is a manual of sanctification to say your sin contaminates you. But if you're going to live in the presence of a holy God... You have to take care of that sin. You have to confess that sin. You have to remind yourself through these pictures that it's been taken care of by a substitute. And then there's these purity codes, chapters 13 through 15, that remind you daily that you're different than everybody else. And then there's a whole calendar of how you you come up to the temple to remind yourself that God lives within your presence. And you may be thinking, well, that's not applicable to me because I don't have a tent. No, you don't have a tent anymore because you know what? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with you everywhere. How do you live with his presence with you everywhere? Well, it's reminding yourself, I'm a distinct person. 
I have some rituals in my life that, that remind me, like coming to church and celebrating Easter and, and those kind of things. And, and I, I remind myself all the time that I'm sinful and, and, and I appeal not to a sacrifice again and again and again, but I remember the once for all sacrifice that fulfilled all of those pictures in the Old Testament. That's the book of Leviticus, because God is a holy God living in their presence in that tent. They leave Mount Sinai, uh, they come out of Egypt, they camp at Mount Sinai, they get the constitution, plan for the tabernacle. The tabernacle is in, uh, indwelt by the, whole, by the Spirit of God, and they get the rules for how to live with him in their presence. And then they march off from Mount Sinai, and um, they go to the southern edge of the land, to Kadesh Barnea, and they number the people. They take a census. They decide, um, we're going to send some spies to see if we can go into the land. They decide they can't because the, the obstacles are too big. And God says, if you won't trust me, I'm going to make you wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They wander in the wilderness. And during that time wandering in the wilderness, it's just what happens to us. There's rebellion from within and opposition from without. That's us. That's, that's the Christian life. We're rebelling constantly. <laughs> There's opposition from without. But yet God is with us and he's going to accomplish his purpose. And that's what the book of Numbers shows, is that God's work in the wilderness is unstoppable. Because at the end of the book, they arrive on the border of the land again. They number the people again, a second census. That's why the book is called Numbers. They number them at the beginning. They number them at the end. And God is going to bring them into the land. He's faithful to accomplish his purpose, even when we're rebellious and people are opposing that. Because God's unstoppable, (laughs) Camped on the edge of the land, Moses is going to preach four sermons. Those four sermons are our book of Deuteronomy. And in those four sermons, Moses calls them to covenant faithfulness. Um, The sermons are arranged like a treaty. And what is happening in the book is Moses is saying, listen, God is faithful to you. Will you be faithful to him as you're about ready to enter into the promised land? Will you be faithful? And the people pledge, yes, we will be faithful. Because God, before they go into the land, he says, listen, I'm serious about this. Are you really going to do what you say you're going to do? I'm going to hold you accountable to this. And they say they will. But they're not. God is faithful, but they're not. They do roll into the land and, and, and they conquer the land. They divide it all up. And what Joshua does is they, they just roll through the land. Um, what Joshua does is, is he tells them God is going to be faithful, but we have to be vigilant. And even in the book of Joshua, you start to see these little hints of they didn't quite finish this, con- this part of the conquest. There's this little group over here that kind of dabbled with idolatry. So he's going to say God is faithful, but please, please stay vigilant. And it shows that through how they conquer the land and they divide it all up. Then everything goes haywire in the book of Judges. Um, the world is turned upside down. Um, what happens in the book of Judges over a period of about 400 years, they have divided the land and they're kind of a tribal alliance. And all over this tribal alliance, um, people are falling into idolatry. And God is sending a charismatic leader who's going to um, rise up and, and, and um, he's going to deliver them from their oppression. And then he's going to rule for a while. And then they're going to fall into that cycle again and again and again. For over a period of 400 years. And what it basically communicates to them is these charismatic leaders, they're not the answer either. You don't need to be looking to personalities to be the solution to our problem. That's, that's not who we 
are looking for. And, and the book, as we saw, as we studied through Judges, the book just spirals down out of control. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Now, on the heels of Judges is this wonderful exception to it. Um, the book of Ruth starts this way. In the days when the judges ruled, when the world was upside down, everything spiraling out of control, there's some faithful living in a hostile world. There's this one family, Boaz and Ruth, who are faithful to God. Uh, we called it hesed. Hesed is the, the Hebrew word for God's faithful, loyal, consistent um, love for us. And, and when we experience God's hesed, his his grace saves us, and then his hesed is what continues to work in our lives. We respond back with hesed to him and with hesed to one another. And that's what happens in Ruth. God is faithful, they're faithful to him, and then they're faithful to one another. And we see Ruth is this wonderful expression of heartfelt love from God to them, from them to God and to one another. Hesed is on display there. The storyline is going to continue into First and Second Samuel, where they go from the madness of the time of the judges to a monarchy. They're a tribal alliance under the book of Judges, and they are united under three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, in the united kingdom, and it's born in First and Second Samuel. And you have the stories of Saul and David and then Solomon, and then we move into the books of First and Second Kings, where the kingdom split. Um, it's united under those three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. It splits into um, two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And all of those kings are a mess. <laughs> of the 39 kings that are there, only eight of them kind of serve the Lord. And this is kind of similar to the book of Judges. The book of Kings shows us that human kings aren't the answer. It's not charismatic leaders. It's not human kings. We're looking for something different. Now, after the honest telling of the history in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, in First and Second Chronicles, we are retold the story. But the story is now told not from the perspective of the palace and what's going on with the kings, but from the perspective of the temple and how God is still at work. It's a priestly perspective of the history of Israel, looking back at what God does in the life of David and particularly in the southern tribe of Judah. And it shows them that God is still at work. He's, he's present in the story. There's three more books that we covered at the end of our historical survey. The book of Ezra takes place um, after God has disciplined the nation and taken them into captivity in Babylon. They're there for 70 years, and then they come back. And in the book of Ezra, there's two returns, the rebuilding of the temple under a guy named Zerubbabel, and the reforming of the people, a revival is led by Ezra. And this basically says, yes, you were taken away, but our hope is still alive because God is still active. We rebuilt the temple. There is a revival among the people. The book is going to, the narrative is going to continue in the book of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah comes back some 90 years later, and he's going to build the walls. And then there's going to be another revival needed. They rebuild the community. And they're basically, here at the end of the historical narrative, they're basically saying, <laughs> it wasn't charismatic leaders, it wasn't kings. It, it's not just about having the temple rebuilt and a wall around Jerusalem. We're looking for something more, and they keep looking ahead. One last book is the book of Esther. And it's kind of a break in the narrative where they are um, seeing God working behind the scenes. Esther is, is back in Persia. Um, Zerubbabel and Ezra have come back. 
Esther remains in Persia before Nehemiah comes back. And um, God is working behind the scenes. But fascinatingly, in the book of Esther, God's name is not even mentioned. He's working even when the people are not where they're supposed to do, be doing what they're supposed to be doing. God is faithful, again, when we're not. And, and that's how the Old Testament narrative ends with that part of the story. Um, so I'm going to ask Ann Haven Watkins. She's going to come up here, and uh, she's going to help me uh, do, go through some hand motions to help all of us remember this. So I need all of you guys to stand up, okay? You're going to get yourself, uh, your blood flowing a little bit here. And uh, Ann Haven has been so gracious to, uh, through this whole series, come up here and help me with all of these hand motions. So we're going to put them together, the, the Pentateuch first, okay? And what we're going to remember here is what we're learning about God, because remember, this is God's story, not us. And what we're going to remember, we've already reviewed some of this, is we're going to remember that God is the creator, and we need you to make a world, okay? God's the creator. He's the redeemer. Take them through the, through the waters of the Red Sea, redeemer, then just, he's holy, praise hands, okay? He's holy. And then I want you to see in the book of Numbers, he's unstoppable. He can't be stopped. Rebellion from within, opposition from without. And in Deuteronomy, he calls them to covenant faithfulness. He's serious, okay? So with your, with your hands and your mouth, okay? I need you to engage with this. I'm going to count to three. We're just going to say five words with hand motions, okay? One, two, three. God is creator, redeemer, holy, unstoppable, and serious. Fantastic. Okay, stay standing. When we move into the book of Judges, what we see is God is, he's faithful as they just roll through the land. Okay, so I just want you to roll through the land as they conquer the land. But then what happens in Judges is all of that unwinds and he is, God is relentless to judge them, but keep on rescuing them. So God is faithful, relentless, and then we're going to just do a little heart sign and he's chesed. Um, in this love story between Ruth and Boaz, we see the faithfulness and, and the love of God. So God is chesed. And then First and Second Samuel, he's unifier. First and Second Kings, disunifier. Okay? So let's just give me those, okay? On, on, on three. One, two, three. God is faithful, relentless, chesed, unifier, disunifier. All right? We're going to keep moving here. Um, in First and Second Chronicles, retelling the story, we're going to see that God is there all that he's faithful, okay? He's, or he's present. He is present in the story. I want you to see underlying the whole story, God is present. And then in Ezra, he's brilliant. He's brilliant because he brings them back to establish the re- rebuilding of the temple because that's what they need most of all is a place to worship, okay? So God is present. He's brilliant. He does build the walls, so he's a protector. And he's hidden in the book of Esther, you just kind of like, where is God? Where is he working in all this? So you need to be looking for God, okay? Those five, will, oh, those four, we'll put them all together, okay? God is present, brilliant, protector, hidden, all right? Stay there. We're going to put them all together, okay? Here we go. 14 of them, 17 books, 14 ways to remember this, okay? On three, mouths and bodies engaged, okay? Here we go. God is creator, redeemer, holy, unstoppable, serious, faithful, relentless, chesed, unifier, disunifier, present, brilliant, protector, and hidden. Very good. You guys can have a seat for just a minute. Excellent. Well done. 
Now, I'm going to put the narrative together. This is a walk through the Bible thing here. Um, what we need you to do is think about this map right here and all of our maps. You're going to think about them laying in, in the room like this, okay? So think about that map laying down here. And what we're going to do, this is all review. We're going to add some new at the end of this. We're going to remember that Joshua is a, is a general. So we're going to go Joshua, okay? Then we're going to cross the Jordan, Jordan, Jericho. Then we're going to turn this way. We're going to divide and conquer south and north, because that's what he does. There's a divide, and then they go to the south and the north. Then we're going to divide and settle into 12 tribes, okay? You can stay seated. Let's do this together, okay? One, two, three. Joshua, Jordan, Jericho, divide, conquer, south, north, divide, settle, settle, 12 tribes. Then we're going to move to the book of Judges, In the book of Judges, which is how we're going to do that, we're going to come around with our 12 tribes judges. We're going to give a a gavel uh, here. In the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes except Ruth and Samuel. Okay? Let's put all of these together. Okay? Everybody stand back up. Here we go. Okay? On three. One, two, three. Joshua, Jordan, Jericho, divide, conquer, south, north, divide, settle, 12 tribes, judges. Um, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes except Ruth and Samuel. Now your hands are up here. And what we're going to see is we're going to see that there's a united kingdom. Okay. So we're going to united kingdom. Now we're going to have some some timelines. Okay. Um, This is going to be 120 years. We're going to have a couple of, we're going to have a couple of 400s and a 70. So this is your 120, okay? So we got United Kingdom, 120 years, three kings, Saul, who had no heart for God. Saul, no heart. David, whole heart. Solomon, half heart, who leaves a divided kingdom for 400 years. Then we get fast. We're going to turn this way on our map again, and we're going to go north, south, Israel, Judah, 1920-08. All right, let's do all of that together. See if I can back up here. All right, here we go. Joshua, Jordan, Jericho, divide, conquer, south, north, divide, settle, 12 tribes, judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, except Ruth and Samuel. Uh, I got to get to the here we go. Then we got a united kingdom, 120 years, Saul, no heart, David, whole heart, Solomon, half heart, divided kingdom, 400 years, north, south, Israel, Judah, 1920, 0-8, and 8 is going to make you think the prophets speak. So once you say 8, you think you ate something with your mouth. Prophets speak, and they're going to say shape up, or, and then we're going to turn this way, ship out, because we're going to have to look at a couple of maps here, okay? Here's what happens. Assyria, as the major world power, is going to come down and grab the northern kingdom of Israel and scatter them. They are obliterated, never to be heard from again. They're scattered all over the world. So what we're going to do is we're going to point up here and we're going to say, Assyria, Israel, scatter. Okay? Now, what's going to happen then is the Babylonians are going to become the major world power. They're going to come down here in 586, about 150 years later, and they're going to take Judah, but they're not going to scatter them. We're going to go Babylonia, Judah, scoop them up, and take them into exile. Okay? 
So Babylonia, Judah, exile, all right? They're going to be in that exile under three kind of paths when they go back there. In 605, Daniel's going to go. In 598, Ezekiel's going to go. In 586, uh, the temple's going to be wiped out. The exile goes in three motions, but so is the return. So we're going to bring them back in three motions with one break for Esther, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to point back up here, and we're going to go Zerubbabel, and going to bring them back and say temple, because he's going to build the temple. Zerubbabel, temple, then Ezra, he brings the people back. Then we're going to pause, and we're going to say Esther, queen, and then Nehemiah is going to bring them back. And because he's Nehemiah, start down here, Nehi, he's Nehemiah, okay? Start down here, Nehi, and build some walls. Nehemiah, walls, and that's going to be leading to a 400-year period of silence, and then Christ is going to come. So let's see if we can put some of this together, okay? Uh, here we go. We're going to point to the, to the north and get Assyria and Israel and scatter them. Okay, one, two, three. Assyria, Israel, scatter, Babylonia, Judah, exile, 70 years. Zerubbabel, temple, Ezra, people, Esther, queen, Nehemiah, walls, 400 years, silence, Christ. All right, you guys are amazing, so we're going to put it all together. Here we go. This is the whole thing. All right, we're going to start all the way back with Joshua. I'm not even making you go back to creation yet, okay? We're going to start with Joshua. Everybody all together, voices and hand motions. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Joshua, Jordan, Jericho, divide, conquer, south, north, divide, settle, 12 tribes, judges, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, except Ruth and Samuel, united kingdom, 120 years, three kings, Saul, no heart, David, whole heart, Solomon, half heart, who left a divided kingdom, 400 years, fast, north, south, Israel, Judah, 1920, 08, prophets speak, shape up or ship out, Assyria, Israel, scatter, Babylonia, Judah, exile. How long? 70 years. Then Ezra, or nope, sorry, Zerubbabel, temple, Ezra, people, Esther, queen, Nehemiah, walls, 400 years, silence, Christ. All right? Thank you. You can have a seat. Thank you, Ann Haven. Ann Haven's been great, hasn't she? We're done, but here's how I want to end this today. Read your Bible. <laughs> my words, my charts, these hand motions, they are not transformative. But the Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God to the people of God in community, is transformative. Read your Bibles. May the God who never sleeps, never slumbers, and never slips, may he graciously involve us in bringing him glory and advancing his purposes. 
as his redemptive, restorative, progressive, and victorious story unfolds before us until he returns to set everything right. Until then, read your Bible. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You're released.